0: Please be seated. Father, as we come to your word, we come back to the book of Luke in our passage today, and we are reminded that Jesus is enough. Jesus is all we need. In fact, we can't provide any ingredient in our redemption or our salvation. Lord Jesus, we need you. As we come to, to your word, to this scripture, please revive our hearts in the gospel. Make us to believe yet again to turn from our fear and to turn in faith to the Son of the Most High God. Help us as we come to this Holy Spirit event of attending to the Word of God. Holy Spirit, preach Your Word. This is Your Word to our hearts. Change us from the inside out. Make me to be clear and to stay on the text. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Jesus has been traveling from one city to another village across the sea and back again. He's been traveling all over the place during this stage of his ministry proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God and of course there's the twelve disciples that are with him, other disciples men and women and as Jesus travels he is demonstrating by not only his words very directly but by his works, who he is and what he came to do. He has demonstrated his authority over nature when he stilled the sea, he has demonstrated his authority over the demonic realm when he cast out legion. And this morning we come to a culminating combined miracle where Jesus demonstrates his authority over disease, over delay, and over death itself. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8 last sermon in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, find verse 40. And Remember, as Jesus demonstrates his authority in these various sections in Luke chapter 8, he's calling people to, to respond to him. After he stilled the sea, where is your faith? After the demoniac is sitting down at the feet of Jesus, he's clothed, he's in his right mind, but that man is submitting to Jesus. That man is proclaiming Jesus. And the others are responding to Jesus as well. Here's how they're responding. This is where we left. Hey, that's pretty interesting, pretty powerful, but get away from us. Leave. Leave. And today we come to a passage where we meet a man named Jairus and an unnamed woman in the crowds. And the whole message, Jesus is driving us to one response. No others. No other response. One response. He's driving us. Only believe. Only believe. So as you read, I want you to feel that and to look for it in the text. Look at verse 40 and let's read this account of Luke chapter 8. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him. For they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had, on, he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had, immediately, how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, "'Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace.'" While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died, do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer, only believe and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. There's one word that summarizes this entire passage. It's desperation. Desperation. And we are meant to see by Luke this main theme from this passage. Our desperation demands faith alone. Our desperation demands faith alone in Jesus alone. And when faith alone connects to Jesus alone, Jesus will save immediately. Immediately. There are three levels of desperation in this two-miracle account. Three levels of desperation. First level desperation is disease. First level desperation Disease. And we're going to look at Jesus and Jairus for a moment in verses 40 and 41. So look at it again. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. So remember, Jesus has gone across the sea, braved a storm, got to the beach on the other side in the Gentile region of the Decapolis. He was attacked on the shores by a man possessed by probably 2,000 demons. Jesus rescues him so that he loves Christ and proclaims him. The rest of the people who lost their cash said, leave. Jesus said, okay. He got back in the boat He goes across the sea, he comes to the other side on the beach. And instead of being attacked on the beach, he is welcomed by a huge crowd that are so excited to to see him. The text says the people welcomed him. They had been waiting for him. How long? I don't know. Setting up tents, waiting for him to return to his base of operations in Capernaum. This crowd is there, wants to see Jesus, wants to see the show. And they're not presented by Luke, this crowd, as those who have truly believed and follow Christ. But they are excited to see him. They've been waiting for him. And they welcome him. But among the crowd there are some in whom the Holy Spirit is at work and is stirring something from within. And there was one desperate man there named Jairus. Verse 41, And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. So Jairus, in Capernaum of all places, where the hub of the Pharisees, and the religious system of the day, Jairus is a bigwig official in the synagogue. That is to say, he ran the place. He would have administrative responsibility to oversee all the activities of the synagogue, the order of service, and much, much more. He was a spiritual leader. He was respected. He was devoted to Judaism. He was a leading figure In the religious establishment in that town. That's what's so shocking about this passage. Here's a man who absolutely knew the prevailing opinion about Jesus Christ from the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, who were already at this time plotting to kill Christ. He knew of their hatred for Christ that they were seeking to destroy him and this guy ran the synagogue in their hub. And yet, notice what happens in in verse 41. He fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. for. He had an only daughter, one child, about 12 years old, and she was dying. So here is a man who, early on in the sickness for this 12-year-old, he would have tried the physicians. He would have gone to the scribes and the Pharisees for prayer. He would have done the, the set religious things to try to heal his daughter. But here is a man who realized that there was a point that nothing was helping. She's dying. She's The text, literally, she's at death's door. And he is desperate because nothing has worked. He couldn't save his girl. The religious leaders could do absolutely nothing, and this is his only child his only child just 12 year old girl a parallel passage says that he Jerry has called her his little girl and she was dying 12 years old she was on the brink of her entire life at age 12 this was the age where your life really began you're approaching the age of marriage in that culture she's entering the prime of her life his precious only little girl was dying. I don't have any other options. I'm out of options. I must go to Jesus. That is faith. Spiritually, when you are out of options to deal with your sin and you say, boy, there's a lot of people that aren't going to like this in my life. But I must go to Jesus. Our desperation demands faith alone. In Jesus alone. The crowd is excited. They're curious. They're welcoming him. But they're not desperate, and soon the crowd will fade away. Listen, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10, soon you will see that the crowd will fade away in the book of Luke. Jesus will stop speaking to the crowds. He will speak to his own, and he will speak in parables. And even in his own, he will train up an even tighter group, hunkering down for the storm to come. In his ministry, the fickle crowd at the end of the day would cry out, crucify him. But here's the leader of the Capernaum synagogue, Jairus, who really should hate Jesus and probably did last week. But he's so desperate that he goes to Jesus and he's apparently willing to lose his reputation, instead of losing his precious daughter. And you need to remember that every miracle in the gospel records is designed to be a picture of the greatest miracle of all, and that's our own spiritual salvation from sin, our our deliverance from sin. And so I want us to relate to Jairus when it comes to our own testimony for a second. Many of us, for years, have tried to heal ourselves of our own sin in order to get to heaven, to help ourselves with our own self-help methods, assuming that we could heal ourselves by our sincerity. playing the organ in church, volunteering for Sunday school, being a good patriot. Put a little potion of patriotism in there and see if God can work with that on the last day. Serve, serve, serve. So I can be just a little bit better than the next guy when God weighs it all out on the last day. I have... My resources, listen, I have been taking my medicine for years spiritually. Do you know what I've done? How much I've served? How I help you? The drop of a hat? I've been taking my medicine for years. I've got my own remedy for sin. That's why I will will get to heaven. And so Jesus is someone that becomes something to be someone to be excited about. Perhaps, I mean, who doesn't want to be saved? Elon Musk, when he was confronted by the Babylonian bees that didn't do a great job in witnessing to the man, sure, I'll be saved. Who wouldn't want to go to heaven? He becomes a fun curiosity and maybe even more than a prophet. But if we're going to be saved by Jesus, we have to come to the end of our own remedies for eternal life. We have to say it's bankrupt. And come to the place that no matter what the cost, we will fall before him and ask him in desperation to save us. Only the desperate will come to Jesus for salvation. And only the desperate are delivered. How desperate do we need to be? Well, we have first-level desperation in our text. This is what's really unique about this in the Gospel records. Now there's an interplay between two miracles. Start working with Jairus. We're going to end with Jairus, but something happens in the middle, but they're connected to... Together to show levels of desperation. But don't you forget Jarius in the middle of this miracle? Think of Jarius. How would you feel if you were Jarius? So we come then to the second level of desperation, delay. Jesus and the woman from verse 42 through 48. Second level of desperation, delay. Jesus and the woman. But as he went, verse 42, the the crowds were pressing against him, and a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years uh, and could not be healed by anyone. So stop there. So Jesus has landed on the beach and the crowd is just so excited. They are pressing in against Jesus. It is wall-to-wall people. It is 68 degrees on a Saturday at the state fair type of crowds. It is just won the Super Bowl trying to get out of a skinny door type crowds. It is pressing in upon Jesus. The the Greek text is like suffocating pressure. But in the crowd there's an unnamed woman who for 12 years had a flow of blood, some kind of gynecological bleeding problem. And the parallel passages say Luke the physician doesn't put this in that she had spent all her money on all kinds of physicians and had not been healed and in fact had become worse. (laughs) So physically this woman Was in pain. She was inconvenienced physically for, for 12 years. And for 12 years, she had this flow of blood, so that really, after these 12 years, her life was now over. And what's interesting is we have a 12 year old girl who was dying, whose life was about to begin. I like how Luke writes. So this woman was physically very sick, but what we don't understand, if we don't understand the background here, is the depth of her desperation. It goes much deeper than just physicality. You see, her condition in that religious establishment in Capernaum, probably with Jarius, the one shaking the finger and calling the shots in her religious life. You see, she, with a flow of blood, was ceremonially unclean, unclean, unclean for 12 years. We're not talking about a six-day cycle here. Write the reference down, Leviticus 15, verses 25 through 30, if you want to read about it. Let me read just one verse. Leviticus 15, 25 says this. Now, if a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, not at the period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond that period, 12 years, all the days of her impure discharge, she shall continue as though in her menstrual impurity she is unclean. Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25. So there was the continual pain. There was the continual embarrassment. Yes, physically she probably couldn't have children. But here is the real rub. She was unclean. And that had social and religious ramifications in her day. Socially then, she was not able to live and come in close contact with others. She would be shut out from fellowship. She would be shut out from her own family. She would be barred, likely, by Jairus himself or someone he would appoint from the religious fellowship within the synagogue in Capernaum. Physical agony, social distancing, so far beyond anything we saw the last three years. But worse, she was unclean spiritually. And now, so she couldn't participate in the religious life of Israel. Thank you very much. And now she had spent all her money and she was completely broke. And she heard Jesus was near. And she was so desperate, she decided to do the unthinkable. Get in that crowd as an unclean person. Probably hit herself really well. But just thought, I have heard about this one. He could be the one. If I just maybe grab one of those four tassels that a rabbi would wear and just grab that tassel, I will be healed. I must give it a, I must go. And so she does it. She touched the cloak of Christ and 12 years of agony ended. The bleeding stopped and she was healed. One scholar notes that her touch was supposed to make others unclean. Instead, one touch of Christ made her clean. And she could tell. I don't know how she could tell. She could tell that she was immediately healed. And Jesus could tell that his healing power had gone out. So look at the next verse. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? Now, come on, skinny door, Super Bowl. Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, because you never want to get confronted by this one, Peter says, oh, I love Peter. Peter says, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me. For I was aware that power had gone out of me. Of course, it's got to be Peter who sets Jesus straight about the crowd pressing in on him. But why does Jesus make such a big deal about this? Jesus stops and he tries to figure out who touched him. Who's with him? Jairus, because Jesus agrees to go with right away i'll go been a long night don't matter i'll go so he's making his way to the house of jarius he gets waylaid here jarius is watching the whole thing this is for jarius this is for the woman this is for the crowd jesus doesn't need to solve his own power shortage This is because he wants Jairus to grow. He wants to stretch him. He wants the woman to realize what has happened here. He wants to deal with this woman. You see, this woman may have thought this is some sort of magic trick, some sort of superstition, as one has said. Like Jesus is some kind of a powerful car battery that dispenses random power through touch. But Jesus wants to work with that woman and Jairus and the people to expand her faith, to inform her faith, to call it faith, to define what was happening for her and Jairus and the crowds and you and me. You see, you can, listen, you got to hear me on this. You can touch Jesus talked to a woman for two hours volunteering at Lakeville North yesterday you can touch Jesus in so many non-saving ways you can touch Jesus like the crowd with some sort of curiosity or wonder or speculation but then you can touch Jesus by faith And Jesus knows the difference. Jesus always knows the difference. And he wants to explain the difference. And so he stops. Verse 47. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of of all the people, the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and peace. And so this woman has been discovered. And so she comes clean, so to speak. And and she's probably a little afraid like everybody else was, but but she's been healed. And so... Maybe there's some fear, but there's also this opportunity to, to, to talk to Jesus and to declare her excitement and maybe her hesitant joy, how she had been immediately healed. And, and she's, but she's unclean. She's already in hot water with Jairus and the like. I'm already rejected enough. She comes clean. She opens up her mouth. Because it's Jesus after all. (laughs) Does Jesus rebuke her? Leviticus chapter. Does Jesus rebuke anyone ever in the history of the world? Does He turn anyone back ever who comes to Him for salvation out of desperation? Never happened, never will happen again. He has never turned anyone away. Far from it. Instead, he pours into this woman words of hope and words of kindness and words of encouragement, words of life. Look at verse 48 again. He says to her, this is incredible. I don't know if I'm going to get through this sermon today. Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The text literally says your faith has saved you. Sozo. Jesus is probably younger than this woman. And yet Jesus calls her daughter. The only place in all of the gospel records. Where Jesus addresses someone with this gentle compassionate term. In all of the writings. A term that daughter. That emphasizes relationship and family and being brought into the family with this one word daughter Jesus says to her you're no longer alone you're no longer spiritually barren you're no longer rejected you're no longer perpetually unclean daughter your faith has made you well go in peace The powerful connection to the power of Christ to save. Listen, the instrument that connects the person and work of Jesus Christ who is just as alive today as he was back then. The connection to the person and work of Jesus Christ. How to connect to him. How to touch him. How to lay hold of his saving power is one word. Faith, faith, it's the instrument, it's the connection to Jesus. In that sense, in the instrumental sense, faith saves. But the, your faith isn't powerful. Christ is. Jesus is the one who saved. This woman's faith was imperfect. This, wor- this woman's faith was confused and maybe magical. This woman's faith was fledgling and Jesus has to stop and explain to her and sort it all out and help her along. But it's real faith. Isn't that encouraging? That what the Lord wants is desperation for him and real faith, not perfect faith. He wants us to say, I need you, Jesus. It's like prayer. Dear Jesus, no, cling to him. In desperation. That is faith. And when does Jesus save? Well, let's see how you do. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how many people you witness to this week first. No, not next week, not tomorrow will she save, not next month, not after she does all kinds of work and proves it. No, she's a daughter right then. She's clean right then. Immediately, and a strange Greek word for immediately, not the normal one, is used three times in this text. Immediately, she is saved. She lives and leaves at peace with God. But we are meant to see something interesting here. We are meant to see Jairus. We are meant to see him. Okay, Jesus, this is the way to my this is the way to the house. W- w- Peter, where, where is he? He's back over here. Uh, Jesus, she's dying over here. And this one? Wait, aren't you the aren't you the what are you doing in this crowd? Jesus is speaking to her. Jesus has a lesson for Darius. He is delayed. He's willing to come, but he's delayed. Kent Hughes is right to Darius' awful dismay. Everything came to a halt. And Jesus has stopped for someone else when his daughter was dying. And that leads us to then something terrible that delay caused. Third level desperation, death, Jesus and the eyewitnesses in 49 through 56. While he was still speaking, so Jesus is speaking to the woman, sorting out that it's faith and all of that and speaking to her. While he's still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. So while Jesus delayed and dealt with that woman, Jairus' daughter died. And someone from the house said, Hey, there's no point. Leave him alone. She's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. This is not just desperate. We're done, it's over. There's no hope. She's dead. And this teacher cannot deal with death. No one can. What do you think was going through the mind of Jairus right now? What goes through your mind in the delays of your life after prayer? And prayer and prayer. Do you think that delay was a test of faith? Do you think delay can bring doubt in our lives? You think this was an accident, what happened on that day? And the interplay between these two miracles? Remember what Bobby read? Jesus heard Lazarus was sick. He loved Mary and Martha. Oh, I love them so much. I'm going to wait a couple days so he dies. I'm going to delay. Thankfully, Jesus is much more than a teacher. But notice that the level of desperation through this passage has moved from disease to delay that has caused death. And so now Jesus arrives at the house of Jairus and Jesus has five words through this third level of desperation. Five words. First, there's a word of encouragement. Not in your handout, just take notes if you like. A word of of encouragement. Verse 50. But when Jesus heard this, Jesus heard, It's over. Don't bother him. When he heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. We're getting you all the way down to the bottom in desperation. Only believe. and she will be made well. Jesus makes a promise. Her word of Christ goes forth. Only believe, and she will be made well. That's a promise. There's nothing that Jairus can do. He is at the end of his remedies, the end of his resources. She is dead. It's impossible doesn't matter about the physicians. This is complete desperation. No one can reverse death. And Jairus is the point of decision. And this is a picture of us spiritually. This is the level of desperation that we need to get to. It's not just partial desperation. It's not just Jesus does 99% but I. This is 100% desperation. This is how desperate we are. The scriptures say we are dead in trespasses and sins. We are buried six feet under spiritually, flatlined, but God. That is the level of our desperation. And people say, and this is an aside, so I have to go quickly, and this is for fun. Listen very carefully. Listen carefully. People say, the Bible never says by faith alone. Those two words aren't found together. If you go to Romans chapter 4 and Paul argues faith alone, surely he does. But those two words aren't found together. They're only found together, the opponents tell us. In James chapter 2, not by faith alone. Remember those arguments? And if you're not certain, well, then we can talk later. I'll tell you, Luke traveled with Paul. Luke is a Pauline scholar. And Luke says faith Alone. He gets it right to it. He means us to see this. It comes down to when you have nothing to give to Christ. You are naked and empty and hopeless spiritually before Him. You are locked in your sins. You can't save yourself. Only believe. Faith alone. Faith is when you stop. "'Trying to earn and work for salvation "'and to realize that it is Jesus who can save you. "'Faith stops doing and depends on Jesus. "'Faith says amen to Isaac Watts and the Rock of Ages. "'Nothing in my hands I bring, "'simply to thy cross I cling. "'Naked come to thee for dress, "'helpless look to thee for grace.' Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal, no respite, know? Could my tears forever flow. All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. That's what Luke is speaking to us here. Only believe. It is in the Scripture if you're debating. Luke chapter 8, faith alone. Then he goes on to a word of hope in verse 51. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep Oh, the scene. This is why it's grammatical, historical, contextual interpretation. You see, the parallel passage speaks that there were professional mourners in that funeral. There were hired musicians played the flute in dissonant, sad notes, and people that would be wailing and screaming in. Ripping their clothes and all of that. Now, our funeral services are so different. We have no model for this. You know what we do at funerals? Mmm, right? I mean, silence. I had one of my kids start crying at either a funeral or a wedding in the middle of it. It was a nightmare. This would be pandemonium in this culture. And Jesus above the den and says, hold on, hold on. I'm going in with you three, everybody out. She's not dead. She's asleep. What is Jesus saying? Because she's dead. Here's what he's saying. There is something so incongruent about Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, standing over that girl and people weeping and wailing at death. Death's end is standing right there. No, it's a prophecy. I'm going to raise her, certainly enough. It's theology. We all know that Jesus is hinting that that being asleep means that I am here and death is temporary. In fact, for the believer, you will never die spiritually. All of that is true, but there's more. Jesus is saying, I'm here. This does not fit out in That's what I think. And so, the crowd that was so excited about Jesus begins to laugh. The mourners who were Fake mourners switch on a dime because they weren't really crying. They were hired guns or hired instruments. They turn on a dime, and they start scornfully laughing at Christ. Jesus put them outside, and if you look at parallel passage, he was firm about it. They laughed in his face, as one scholar translates the Greek term. I'll tell you one thing. People have a hard time staying neutral around Jesus. True colors will show over time. And notice what Jesus says next in verse 54. A word of command. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately. Did it take a while? No, she got up immediately. She was dead because the text says... Her spirit returned to her body, and death means separation of spirit and body. Child, arise. How did she hear his voice? How did Lazarus hear the voice of Christ? Lazarus, come forth. How did you, dead in trespasses and sin, hear the voice of Christ? Tell you He made you alive. He gave you ears to hear like James says in James chapter 1, verse 18. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. And so there's a word of command and then there's a word of compassion. I love the tenderness of Christ as He takes hold of the little girl's hand while she is dead. Therefore, in that system... Defiling herself by touching a corpse. But Jesus takes her hand nonetheless and gets close to her face so that when she awakes she will see his face. And he knows because of the sickness and all of this that she will be hungry. When this little girl is rise, he knows that she will be hungry, and she is so tender to meet her needs. Please give her something to eat. What a savior who can overcome death itself. But a, what a friend who takes our hand and meets the needs that no one else can see. What a friend we have in Jesus. And then there's the word of direction. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Incidentally, and I'll cover this more later, maybe next time. Why, why does the... The the man whose name was Legion, he gets saved. He's supposed to tell everyone the great things that God has done for him. And now in Capernaum, it's like, don't say a word about this. I'll tell you why. One was on Gentile shores and one was on Jewish shores where the leaders had rejected the Christ. The ministry of Christ is changing. He's moving from the crowds. He's speaking in Luke chapter 8 of parables. The ministry has shifted. From now on, he begins to tell him, I will die and I will be raised on the third day. You will see it. The ministry of Christ is shifting, and I think that explains most of the reason for verse 56. But here's what I want you to hear. You don't want to be kicked out of the room when Jesus is working. No, hear me. You you want to be in the room You don't want to be identified with the crowds. You don't want to be identified with the religious leaders or the mourners outside of Jairus' home or that individual that came to tell Jairus to to leave. No, you want to be identified even if Christ delays as a spiritually desperate one who says, Jesus, like Jairus did, Jesus, let's go in. Let's go into the room. We must touch Jesus. It's not your faith that is so amazing in this passage. Faith connects you to Jesus. You have to understand that you in this room, apart from Christ, are desperately unclean because of your sin. You are defiled through and through. You are not at peace with God. You are no son nor daughter yet. You are an enemy of God. Not at peace with him. You are dead in trespasses and sin. What does death mean? Like the little girl's spirit and body were separated. So you are separated from God because of your sin. And Luke plants so much Pauline theology right here in these words because what he is saying is that through Christ alone if we connect to Christ through the instrument of faith he can make us clean he can remove our sins he can get rid of the black defilement of our sin and you know how he did it? Jesus would go to the cross of Calvary and he would take on your uncleanness. He would take on the black defilement of your sin. In your place, in your stead, he would consume it at the cross. And he lived that perfect life, that perfect robe of righteousness to put over you so you could be spotless and cleansed and forgiven. All of that. And that he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just take sin out of the way. He says, okay, I've removed it. I've taken it away. Now, back together with God. In fact, you're a daughter now. You're a son now. You're at peace with God. No, no longer an enemy, but a daughter, a son of the most high God. And he says, go in peace. Why is this? I'll tell you why. Christ didn't just die for you. This text hints that he, for those three days, he was what? Theologically sleeping. Sin was dead. He was dead, sure enough, like this little girl. But he, death would not have the last word for our Lord Jesus Christ. And he came up from the grave. And you too, if you have put your faith in him, you are united to his death. You are united to his life. And you will never die. If you are a believer, you will only sleep. You will never die. For Jesus said in John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Die. Do you believe this? That's what he's asking Jarius today and us today. Do you believe this? And I would say to you, kids, go ahead and trouble the teacher. Always trouble Jesus. He is alive and he's powerful to save. And if you feel your need for a savior, adults or kids in this room, do not delay. Do not let the delays in your life bring doubt. Trust in Jesus Christ. Only believe. He is not just a human teacher. He is an all-powerful, compassionate Son of the Most High God. Forget, adults, listen to me, for 40 years, forget all the other spiritual physicians. Forget all the other spiritual remedies that make you right with God. Flush them down the toilet. They don't work. Fire the doctors. There is one spiritual physician and his name is Jesus. Stop wasting your time and your spiritual money. No, it doesn't cost a thing. Come freely to Jesus as John invites at the end of the book of Revelation. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost, without cost, without price. Without striving, without works, only believe. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this incredible passage that combines these two miracles. And Father, I ask, I ask that believers in this room, that you would help us with the disappointing delays of our life that tend to allow doubt to creep in may we remember may we remember who it is who holds us in his double grip and may we only believe in his precious promises and father I do pray for anyone here who is just curious about Jesus but who has not come to that place of just needing him. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show them their need and draw them to your son. And Father, I do pray for the discouragement that many feel in our fellowship who are sick now. I do pray for Barb that you would heal her, strengthen our dear sister. I pray for many... In the nation of Bolivia, as Pastor Dan and others are preaching the doctrine of God to them, that you would bring salvation to the lost there and equip those pastors to preach this gospel, the gospel of Christ, of desperation and sin and dependence upon Jesus alone for salvation, that gospel, that they would preach it with a measure of power. And Holy Spirit, would you do a work there in Bolivia in the next few days and bring Pastor Dan home to us safely? We pray for this church, for the deacons and elders of this church, for those who serve, for the members, the regular tenders of this church, people who are visiting today, all of the people who are here under the word of God. Holy Spirit, use your word. Strengthen us that out of joy we would want to follow Jesus and tell others about him. Lord, we live in a dark world, in a dark nation. I pray Lord, that we would open up our mouths and share this good gospel with as many people as we can and we would live it out as lights in this world. Oh, we praise you for raising this church up. Continue to help us, Lord, to stay on the word of God and to preach it as it's written. Holy Spirit, continue to grow us each in, more and more into the image of Christ. Help us now to sing as we close from our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.